Good day to you, brothers, sisters, friends, and new faces. Welcome to Current Events and Christian Expectations. And today in this podcast, we're going to discuss the nuclear family and why it is indeed the bomb. Today, we'll lead off with Genesis 2, 22 through 24. As usual, we'll have several other scriptures that we will read in reference today, and we'll put those in the overview. So with respect to the age-old institution of marriage, let's just dig right in. Thank you, Randy, for that <coughs> Excuse me, introduction. The current event is the passage of the Respect for Marriage Law. Well, what is this law? Supposedly, respect for all kinds of marriages, hetero, gay, polyamorous, etc. Come up with your own mix. But how much respect does the original marriage plan get? Listen to these words from Genesis 2, 22 through 24. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And there is the pattern set for all time. One man, one woman... And notice this phrase, one flesh, which in the Bible, old and new, refers only to the man and the woman coming together. Whether in fact it's a marriage act or whether in fact it's not, it's one flesh. It's always the combination of the one man, one woman. Now there are those who say that this law is a deception. Here is Cardinal Dolan, a cardinal from New York City, and uh, I've heard the good cardinal on many occasions. He's a jolly fella. And uh, But his um, critique of this is probably the strongest thing I think I've ever heard him say. If, the, if passed, this is what he says, uh, if passed, the bill would make freedom of speech and religion, quote, second-class rights, the cardinal warned. Going on with the quote, the bill would be a narrow arrow, a new arrow, in the quiver of those who wish to deny religious organizations liberty to freely exercise their religious duties, strip them of their tax exemptions, or exclude them from full participation in the public arena, end of quote. The Cardinal also noted same-sex couples already have the right to enter into civil marriages in the U.S., but as he goes on to say, quote, many seek to go a step further and force private parties, religious organizations, individuals of faith, to approve and support those relationships by our own words and conduct, end of quote. And now we move from the Catholic objection to the evangelical objection from the Reverend Franklin Graham. Graham called the legislation, which uh, initially passed the Senate earlier this month with the help of 12 Republicans, quote, dangerous, and he said it would, quote, would be used against individuals, churches, and organizations who honor traditional marriage, end quote. President Biden signed this bill into law this month on the 13th of this year, 2022, with bipartisan support from Congress. So in view of our other podcasts, I got to say, bipartisan, that, that, that proves it's a great thing. It's a virtuous arrangement. Yeah. Yeah. The traditional father-mother-children arrangement, the so-called nuclear family, is under attack, a nuclear attack, 
Yet it is the bomb, as we say, when we truly approve of something. In fact, the nuclear family is God's unchanging plan for this age. The nuclear family has been the target since the late 60s, which began with the gay movement wanting to be left alone, just wanted toleration. Next, however, came the demand for acceptance, followed by the demand for approval, to gay marriage as normal as heteromarriage, and hence the need to have legal marriages. At its core is the goal of destroying the nuclear family, dad, mom, and 2.4 children, as someone has said. Why the nuclear family? Well, first of all, take note, it's Satan's target from the start. We know that in Genesis 3, separating Adam and Eve, getting them to fall into sin. What is the Christian expectation? It is a nuclear family, which begins with husband and wife. We'll have more to say as to how to understand that by the time we conclude. But as so often, we begin in Genesis. Listen to this from Genesis 1, 27, 28. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Okay, in those two verses, it is made clear that the full image of God is displayed in the oneness of the male and female in marriage. Now, of course, the male is an image of God, female is an image of God, but both of them together present an image, totally different, one flesh, Mm -hmm. that is what we call the nuclear marriage, and this is important to note. This truth is clearly asserted again in Genesis 5, 1 through 2. Listen to this. This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female he created them, and he blessed them and named them man when they were created. Male and female, in their totality of one flesh, he calls man. Now that word man in our English, in the Hebrew, is the word Adam. If you have any footnotes in your Bible... Uh, you'll see that. He called them Adam. He called them Adam. In other words, mankind is to be made up of nuclear families, male and female. Now, a lot a lot of talk has been made like that's some modern invention. It is not a modern. <laughs> it's a result of capitalism. No, it's not the result of capitalism. Leaving this model, as we see, just causes more pain, drama, and problems. So we want to affirm that model. And as we shall see, even the best of God-ordained nuclear families have drama enough. Jesus reaffirms the nuclear marriage in Matthew 19, 1 through 6. Listen to his words. Now, when Jesus had finished these sayings, he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. And Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female, and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh? So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. What God has joined together, let no man, in the words of the old King James, put asunder. And meaning not just a specific individual marriage, but the very nature of what constitutes the marriage. The one flesh, the nuclear family. We can't change that. The pattern is set in Genesis despite whatever deviations there may be from that pattern. A pattern, 
doesn't change. Even hardness of hearts doesn't change it. God simply implements the rule of accommodation. What you cannot immediately eliminate, you regulate. For example, listen now to Matthew 19, verses 7 and 8. They said to him, Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and send her away? He said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. From the beginning it was not so. And he told them they have hard hearts. And notice how hard hearts interpret Scripture. They say, Why did Moses command us? Jesus says, Moses allowed mm -hmm. you to Big do difference. this. Hardened hearts hurt the female the most, as we see in the Old Testament. Apparently, Pharisees never ask, why is an exception made to the Genesis model? That's what they should have been saying. Why, why is that? Why did, they, why did God make exception? Why did Moses make exception? Hardened hearts never ask the right questions. They've already got the answer they want. Of course, divorce means stepchildren, as does death and remarrying, are, as we say today, blended families being the result. And the success of those families is not always good. According to the Pew Research Center, 40% of today's American families are blended. And according to the U.S. Census Bureau, some 60 to 70% of these blended marriages fail. Now, when I first looked into this uh, some 30, over 30 years ago, it was, it was the same stat. Yeah. Uh, it's been constant for over three decades. We do a lot of um, marriage seminars uh, and lay leading in marriages, my, my wife and I, and um, that percentage is, is significantly higher. It's like 71% for the second marriage to fail. Mm -hmm. First one is typically pretty high, but it's the second one is 71% of marriages fail. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And so we're, we're going to spend a few minutes addressing that. Um, but this doesn't change the pattern God set in the beginning, as Jesus points out. From the beginning, it was that. Now, is there hope for blended marriages? Well, we, we shall see. I believe so. But first of all, let's appreciate that that is a problem. What is clear from the Old Testament is that the blended families of the patriarchs and kings did not have a lot of success raising their children either. And these are not just from divorces, but primarily from polygamy and concubinage, practices. For example, let's think of Abraham's situation. Here, listen to this, Genesis 21, 8 through 13. And the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, laughing. So she said to Abraham, cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. And the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. But God said to Abraham, Be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you, for through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also, because he is your offspring. There you go on that matter. Um, it was a, a messy situation. Hmm. Um, Isaac is a child of promise. Ishmael is not. Ishmael is a result of a compromise with uh, Sarah and Abraham and Hagar. But God blesses that arrangement nonetheless. Let us take to note, because we are all sinners saved by grace, and we need to appreciate that. He blesses the dysfunctional situation. And the inheritance, of course, 
gets a bit involved, dicey, we might say, uh, via Abraham's issues with his wives and children. Listen to this in Genesis 25, 1 through 6. Abraham took another wife whose name was Keturah. She bore him Zimran, Jokshan, Medan, Midian, Ishbak, and Shahua. Jokshan fathered Sheba and Dedan. The sons of Dedan were Ashuriam, Letshushim, and Lenunim. The sons of Midian were Epha, Epher, Hanok, Abida, and Elda. All these were the children of Keturah. Abraham gave all he had to Isaac. But to the sons of his concubines, Abraham gave gifts. And while he was still living, he sent them away from his son Isaac eastward to the east country. He has his son Isaac. He has other sons as well. But these he sends away, kind of like an exile, because he understands the problems there are going to be between mm. this matter of the inheritance, because he's given, as the scriptures say, everything to Isaac. Jacob, of course, had serious problems with the blended family arrangement. I appreciate Jacob's anger in this passage that Randy's going to read. Genesis 30, 1 through 6. When Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, she envied her sister. <laughs> Sorry, man, Mary's two sisters. Sorry. She said to Jacob, give me children or I shall die. Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel. And he said, am I in the place of God? who has withheld you from the fruit of the womb? Then she said, Here is my servant Bilhah. Go into her so that she may give birth on my behalf, that even I may have children through her. So she gave him her servant Bilhah as a wife, and Jacob went into her. And Bilhah conceived and bore Jacob a son. Then Rachel said, God has judged me and also has heard my voice and given me a son. Therefore she called his name Dan. And you can read the rest of chapter 30 of Genesis, and it becomes a competition of just making babies <laughs> left and right. It, it goes that way until the end. And this whole story of Jacob, his wives, concubines, maids, sons, even daughters, comes to a climax eventually uh, in the story of Joseph, which is how Genesis finishes up. It's one thing to have many children with one set of parents, and there is drama enough with that. Amen? Amen. But the drama of the Old Testament fathers is a soap opera. This was not part of something I researched, but I just come across it while I was just doing something else. Uh, the Young and the Restless have been on television for 49 years with all of their <laughs> family, uh, wives, husbands, divorces, dysfunctions. And uh, it struck me as, uh, ironically, they're, they're more biblical than most things on TV <laughs> because this is the way it is in the Bible with dysfunctional families. Just a few more examples of the problems with blended families of the Old Testament. Listen to this. This is David, man after God's own heart, but he had his family problems because of, well, let's go on. David and his children and their issues. He had eight wives that are named in Scripture. Here is 2 Samuel 3, verses 2 through 5. And sons were born to David at Hebron. His firstborn was Amnon of Ohinoam of Jezreel, and his second, Chelib, of Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel, and the third Absalom, the son of Maacah, the daughter of Talmai, king of Geshur, and the fourth Adonijah, the son of Haggith, and the fifth Sephathiah, the son of Abital, and the sixth Ithream of Elglah, David's wife. These were born to David in Hebron. Hebron, before he became uh, ordained again as king in Jerusalem. 
And to those six, we'll add Michael from 1 Samuel, Saul's daughter, mm -hmm. and Bathsheba. We're all familiar with that story. And that makes eight. But then listen to this. There are others as well. <laughs> 2 Samuel 5, 13. And David took more concubines and wives from Jerusalem after he came from Hebron. And more sons and daughters were born to David. Mercy. And then, to top it off, there's this. This is the um, Nathan speaking. He has uh, managed to trick David into confessing that he's had this sin with Bathsheba and done away with her husband. And so listen carefully to um, what God has to say through Nathan. 2 Samuel 12, verses 7 and 8. Nathan said to David, You are the man. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. And I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if this were too little, I would add to you as much more. I gave into your arms, with all you had already, Saul's wives. How to be a father to so many kids, because depending on how you count it out, and sometimes it's difficult because the chronologies, there's a name change between various places like Chronicles and Samuel and Kings, and you don't know if it's a different child or it's just a child with a different name from a previous passage. So 20 to 21 kids that we know of. Wow. With different mothers. How are you going to raise? <laughs> well... Now you see the advantage of a nuclear family. Normally, you don't have that many, even with a nuclear family. Yeah. You know? And so it goes throughout the Old Testament, ignoring the law for future kings, which was found in Deuteronomy 17.17. 17. And he shall not acquire many wives for himself, lest his heart turn away, nor shall he acquire for himself excessive silver or gold. There's also a passage, too, that they shouldn't have uh, many horses or chariots, yes. which both David and Solomon Right, ignored. right. Yeah. yeah, that's uh, it's a it's like a complete package problem. Yeah, um, and eventually the kingdom itself was put at risk through Absalom and his plotting, uh, having killed his half brother Amnon for raping his Absalom's sister Tamar. Even fathers who appeared to have only one wife, such as Eli and Samuel, have sons who turn out badly. You can read that in First Samuel three, Samuel eight. Uh, perhaps they too had wives, but were distracted from exercising oversight over their children. I don't know. I do know this. Fathers don't come off well at all in the Old Testament. Yeah, Hophni and Phinehas were not good boys. They were not good boys. No. Yes. Solomon, of course, to top all this, set a bad example for others to continue uh, as he had many wives and concubines. First Kings 11, 1 through 3, 700 wives, 300 concubines. Let's hear Jesus again. From the beginning, it was not so. Yes, God can and does bless blended families, for we are all sinners in need of grace. However, the Christian expectation is to affirm and practice the original pattern, male-female, dad-mom, children. So when we come to the New Testament, there is a returning to the standard which had never been canceled. God made accommodations because it was such a mess. Sometimes that's what you have to do. Even God did it. In the holy family of Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, we now see a restoration of the nuclear family. And we know the story of Jesus, who acknowledges his first father in heaven, from that classic passage in Luke 2, 48 and 50. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? 
and they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. Yes, did you not know I had to be in my father's house? And uh, wouldn't I love to hear an interview of Mary and Joseph talking about that on the way back to uh, <laughs> Nazareth. Um, but notice, your father and I have been looking day and night for you. There is an earthly father. Joseph is in some sense his father. Now let's ask this question. Well, why? Jesus has a father in heaven, right? Isn't Joseph redundant? No, because even with a virgin birth, there is need for an earthly father because that's the pattern for humanity and raising children, father, mother, children. The father in heaven makes sure the standard is set at the beginning and that it's in place in this new beginning, which we call the Christian faith. Because as 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, if anyone be in Christ, he's a new creation. New creation Old yeah. is past, new has come. And that restoration starts with the uh, Mary and Joseph marriage and the rearing of Jesus. So starting with Jesus, there's a restoration of the beginning, as Jesus points out in Matthew 19. Even a virgin birth doesn't change the pattern of you got to have a mom and dad. Now, of course, sometimes we all know things happen and you don't always get that. Nonetheless, keep in mind, God still can bless and does, absolutely. But we're talking about what's the pattern and what you're supposed to affirm as a Christian expectation. Mm. And Jesus fully submits to this arrangement and as a result grows in wisdom and stature as God intended. Would it have been different if Jesus had two mothers or two fathers? Therefore, we have this in Luke 2, verses 51 through 52. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth, and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Right. He acknowledged he was doing his father's business, father in heaven there in Jerusalem. At the same time, after that particular event was over, he submitted to them both mm -hmm. and went back to Nazareth. Went with them and was subject to them. And as a result, he grew in wisdom and stature with God and man. And that's key. Remember, this pattern of truth is the one God approved from the beginning. Other arrangements God can and does work with. But as with the Pharisees and their convenient use of divorce, other arrangements are so often the result of a hardened heart. The way back to good hearts is affirming God's ways. And we need to add this. Joseph was selected for this holy task as was Mary, and so he is not incidental to the marriage. He takes Mary in marriage, being obedient to the word of God. Here's the passage, Matthew 1, 18 through 25. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Joseph 
fear not to take this woman unto you. What was his fear? Well, he thought Mary was this person who was really good, and now she's pregnant and no explanation. So, wow. Mm. Drama, even in the beginning of this holy family. Um, but uh, he obeys the words of the angel from the dream and goes ahead and takes her in marriage. So we see even in the holy family, there's, there's drama. And the drama continues uh, in Mark chapter 3. Uh, Mary and uh, her sons, Jesus' brothers, go after him when they hear reports that he's gone crazy or they think he's crazy because all the crowds he's drawing, maybe they fear for his life. And they're telling him, go, go to Jerusalem, be famous, be famous, go do the... Yeah. That's right. Yes, John, <laughs> Typical sibling joke. That's right, ribbing. you see that in John 7, where they, his brothers sort of irk him on, and if you're going to be the Messiah, I want you to get on with it, go to Jerusalem. Um, so there's, there's drama, even in this family. So we must never think the nuclear family means you'll have no drama. No, that's, it's going to happen. But that's the pattern we're to follow. That's the point. And there's always drama because of unbelief and hardened hearts. As uh, Randy mentioned in John chapter 7, his brothers are just ur urging him on. Well, you want to be the side? Show yourself to the world? And Jesus says, well, the, you, you are of the world, and but my time has not yet come. So mm -hmm. you, know, you go on. So Joseph overcomes his fears, and no doubt the consternation of the folks of Nazareth. And later he ushered Mary and the child out of harm's way, being obedient to God. Listen to this, and this is important. Matthew 2, 13 through 15. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. Right. It's not an angel who comes and rescues Mary and the baby. Joseph. It's Joseph. He's the father, which is to say he's the protector of the family. Now, I found this interesting. It just happened to appear while I was working on this. Here's a quote. This is from a... Um, reviewer of movies, a guy named Christian Toto. He's reviewing the new Avatar movie. Some of you out there may have seen the original one. This one is Avatar The Way of Water. And of course, it involves now the Sully clan. Uh, Jake has grown up, you know, married, they got children. And here is some of Mr. Toto's comments. Uh, the Sully clan is a devoted bunch. Papa Jake is constantly teaching his children right from wrong, how to honor their heritage and avoid bringing shame to the clan. And then at one point in the story, in the film, Jake says this, quote, A father protects. It's what gives him meaning. Uh, Mr. Toto goes on to say, this is the film's most subversive touch. I found that, uh, isn't that interesting? When I grew up watching movies, fathers always did those kind of things, you know, protect and, and gave direction. But now to put that into a movie is subversive. Well, I agree. Because fathers aren't viewed that way by people who run the narrative, people who uh, are woke. And above all, the point of this podcast, it doesn't fit the narrative of those who would celebrate the Respect for Marriage Act. Mm. Later, Joseph gets the word to go back home and exercises his faith when confronted with a problem, getting guidance from God. Matthew 2, 19 through 23. But when Herod died... Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. 
But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that which was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. Right. Even though he'd been told by an angel, you can go home now. When he got there, he said, oh, this fellow might be a problem because he's a relative of Herod. Um, his fears were legitimate. And then God blessed him again with a way of, hey, here's another dream. We'll get you going. And that took care of it. For Jesus to grow up being prepared for the ministry that he would be given, his Father in heaven made sure the nurturing and rearing came out of the pattern originally ordained. So, as is said in Luke 3, 23, Jesus, when he began his ministry, was about 30 years of age, being the son, as he was supposed, of Joseph, the son of Heli. Um, he was, of course, um, Jesus was, of course, the son of Mary, but he was, for all earthly purposes as well, the son of Joseph and owed him that allegiance. Hmm. As surely as he owed the first allegiance to his father in heaven, just as those of us who are the father's children owe our first allegiance to him and then to our earthly father, hmm. we get this in Matthew 10, 37. Whoever, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever loves sons or daughters more than me is not worthy of me. Right. So it's not like Jesus was doing something that he doesn't expect us to do. Mm -hmm. Our first allegiance is to uh, the Lord in heaven and then to all that he has appointed, you know, and those positions of authority down here on earth is next. And yet, here is the paradox. The family of Mary, Joseph, and Jesus is not just a nuclear family. It's also a blended family. Who is Joseph? Well, he's the stepdad. He's the stepfather. Jesus has none of Joseph's DNA. Only the heavenly DNA his Father in heaven has given him through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Family is nuclear and blended. How good is God to give us this encouragement? So if you're in a blended family, hey, be Jesus and Mary and Joseph can still be your model. <laughs> For the family to succeed, Joseph, Mary's, or ours, the best way is to keep Jesus at the center and trust in God as Mary and Joseph did. This is the pattern Jesus submitted to and so grew in wisdom, becoming obedient even to death on the cross. The families we form and how we form them make a difference. And the nuclear family is the Christian expectation. Well, thanks, Jim. And that's the bomb. That's the bomb. <laughs> You've given us lots to think about. And I'm sure there might be some questions and comments on it. So if you have those questions and comments, please do not be afraid to drop us a note at eventsandexpectations at gmail.com. That's the word events, the word and, the word expectations all together at gmail.com. We'll use your comments on air where possible, but we will always answer you. This has been Current Events and Christian Expectations. And until next time, keep looking up. <laughs>